HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Visit a farm. Log on to EscapeMaker.com, New York City's guide to ideas on weekend getaways and day trips to orchards, farms, wineries, breweries, and more. No car? No problem. This year, EscapeMaker is offering the Dutchess County Farm Fresh Tours Program in conjunction with Metro North Railroad. Take the train from New York City and spend the day exploring local Hudson Valley agritourism with farm, winery, and distillery visits. Just a quick two-hour ride. For more info, stop by the EscapeMaker pop-up shop located at Fultonstall Market in the South Street Seaport. Sign up for your farm getaway at EscapeMaker.com today. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you, as always, from the back of Roberta's Pizza. We are here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You, of course, are tuned into the Farm Report. I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks. Um, we have a very interesting show lineup today. We're going to kick things off um, talking a little bit about um, Delaware County and, and what's happening um, with our friends just north of the city. And then in the second half of the show, we're going to learn a little bit about um, investment opportunities for those of you out there who might be looking to invest in farming uh, via your IRA or through other means. And those of you who are farmers or want to be farmers who are looking to raise capital, I'm kind of interested to learn a little bit more. We're going to be joined in the second half of the show by Austin Maness of Harvest Returns. But to kick things off, we are on the line with Steve Burnett. Steve is um, a farmer. He, he runs a uh, diversified organic farm, Burnett Farms up in Delaware County in Movina, and is also the founder of the Burnett Group. And I just learned this morning, also a painter, a man of many talents. Steve, welcome to the show. It's good to be with you. I am uh, so I'm excited to to kind of uh, tuck in here. Um, we connected with you guys, of course, through Escape Maker, who are uh, underwriters of the show, and a great group for those of you who are interested in taking kind of trips to explore um, 
different regions in the New York State area. And so, Steve, tell me a little bit about Burnett Farms. Uh, how did you guys get started? What do you grow there? And um, what's kind of the lay of the land? Yeah, it's a pleasure. Um, <clears throat> my wife and I have a small-scale sustainable farm on top of a mountain in Delaware County. We're at 2,200 feet. You can think of us as a zone three for those of you that follow that. Um, For those of you that don't, you can think Alaska. We have a very short season up here. Um, Our farm is quite like what you would find 150 years ago if you take away the uh, Electric, plastic, and diesel, it's exactly what you'd find 150 years ago. We have cows, uh, beef cows, black Angus. We have pigs, um, a heritage line of Berkshires. Um, We have several varieties of poultry for eggs and meat. Um, Primarily, we're a vegetable farm. We uh, grow everything that you could imagine having on your plate. And um, because our season is uh, very short up here, we um, we have greenhouses. They're passive solar greenhouses, but they extend our season to uh, sort of a southern Louisiana habitat. So after eight years of building this farm from scratch and knowing nothing when we got into it, um, we have figured out how to do what people up here said was impossible. We're growing beautiful vegetables on top of a mountain. So when when people from who who've maybe been in the area a little bit longer come by, are they like, "Hey, man, I guess you were right"? Or <laughs> <laughs> that, um, so this is the creation myth. I started, and the old timers came up to me. They wouldn't even look me in the eye. They were so embarrassed for me. And they said, Burnett, uh, this is a rocky, cold part of the world, and I just want you to know that, you know, this is the rockiest and the coldest part of this world. You ought to know what we're calling you. We're calling you the city it. And, the city And they were right. I was an <laughs> idiot, and I was from the city. And then a few years later, they came back, and at this point, they'd, they'd look at me. They'd look me in the eye, and, and, and they said, Burnett, we've been watching you. You've been working hard, and uh, and so we respect that a lot. We're dropping the city part. You're just our idiot. And and they were right. After two years, I was still going through the learning curve, and now we've uh, we've figured it out, and all these old-timers and farmers are paying us the ultimate compliment there. They're totally ignoring us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you yeah. kind of have a little bit of a, of a history of kind of um, setting new ground, um, thinking a little bit ahead of the curve. Um, now, the Burnett Group, what exactly is it? You guys have been around since, I think, the late 70s. Um, you do design and marketing primarily for financial services. But for folks who might not know what that means, can, can you... Uh, elucidate us? Um, absolutely. My my career in the city, which um, which started with a career at, at Pratt, um, I got my graduate degree in 1979, and one of my professors hired me, and after a year and a half, uh, learned everything not to do in building a business, and um, built a, a design communication company was very early on in taking the world into digital applications. Um, 
quickly discovered that Wall Street had all the money. And so I went down there and helped them with their branding and sales tools and um, had offices in Zurich. We had a, uh, major accounts with the Swiss in Bangkok and, and um, in Charlottesville, North Carolina, some banking centers and production centers. So it was a good run. And then I entered phase three of my life. Uh, you know, I ran my business well. I paid my taxes. I raised my family and then decided it was time to give myself um, a gift. Um, and the gift was pretty much a bucket list dream of building a farm from scratch without knowing anything. <laughs> so I went from a uh, Armani suit and Ferragamo shoes to Carhartts. Um, and uh, I, I don't think I'm going to be going back into the suit. This is quite the quite the life up here in the in paradise up here in the Catskills. Well, so tell me, how did you end up in Delaware County when you when you were kind of looking for a space? Was that an obvious choice, or did you uh, look at a couple different regions? Did you know you wanted to stay in New York? Like, what was the thought process befi- behind like finding that? Especially because you chose you know, by your own admission, a a kind of unconventional space to start a farm in particular for someone who didn't have maybe a farming background. Yeah. Um, Well, like many things in our lives that define us, like the people we marry and ultimately the jobs we get, um, we might be looking straight forward, but the opportunity comes right over our face sideways. I was. Uh, I, I ended up in Bovina. I was driving down the road and saw a sign nailed to a telephone pole, hand painted, said "House and Pond for Sale," and um, and I and I bought it. It was a little shell of a log cabin and seven acres. We have 150 acres now, and the little cabin has expanded. But um, I can't say that um, I was that person who had a dream and and a plan and then worked the plan. Um, and and I would I would say that for all of us, most of the really critical things that define our lives just were happy accidents that we discovered fit and then um, and developed our language and our lives around that. Um, so. I confess to being just a, a very lucky, happy accident when it comes to why I'm in Bovina. And when I came up here in 1989, I was there were not a lot of weekenders. Um, this, you know, it's three and a half hours from the city. Um, you really had to make an effort. Um, there were a few of us that came up here for the beauty, and I was a weekender for. 25 years um, coming up on weekends and expanding this footprint that we have. And uh, so it's not an unusual story. Yeah, but it's kind of a, kind of a, I like, I like the um, humbleness. (laughs) You're like, oh, it was happy, a series of happy accidents. Well, one of the things that, um, you know, I think that a skate maker does in a really interesting way is they put together um, tours and um, kind of day-long itineraries for people who want to go out and explore um, different regions of the state, especially people who, like myself, are located in Brooklyn or Manhattan or down here in New York City. And, you know, you've been up in Bovina, up in Delaware County for a number of years now. I'm wondering if you can share with us a little bit about um, 
how people spend their time up there and, and maybe how that's changed for you as you've transitioned from someone who was there on the weekends to someone who's there more like seven days a week. What are the kind of activities that fill your life and where do those things kind of overlap? Yeah. Oh, that's a deep question. Um, number one, we now have fiber optics um, running all through the mountains. So if you do want to spend more time up here and distance work, uh, it's possible. When I came up here, certainly that wasn't the case. The mountains are designed um, to attract people that are uh, insular and private and um uh, very inward looking. Our, our, our mountains roll uh, almost like the convolutions of our brain. There's a phrenology up here that that defines and keeps people that really are looking for a personal escape. And with that, of course, uh, there are, with all of these private people, the extrovert in us, and we go crawling out, and we find each other. And it's amazing how many kindred spirits have come up because they wanted, uh, through the beauty and the privacy, to explore that and keep that part of themselves, and yet they find each other. The community, consequently, has some shared values, which, um, again, are a happy accident, but um, have it's a very strong thread that, uh, that, that threads all of the beads up here, if you will. And people come up here for the beauty. This is the largest vegetative filter on planet Earth feeding a major metropolitan area. This is where your water's coming from. And the city, in one of the great acts of a great city, 120 years ago, started to protect this area for the, for the water supply. And they continue to. And every year, if you've got a piece of land for sale, the city will bid at market price for it, and it goes into these easements, and um, and it start and it, the mountains are going back into this wild, primitive state, which is another thing that attracts a certain type of people. Um, you will not find in the Berkshires or the Hamptons or the Poconos the pioneering spirit because there's not the wildness. You come up here as a young person or an old person and you will see and feel and smell in the air and the water and the way things go. That bone in our body of of saying I, I am here first. It's it is a beautiful, raw, primitive, wild space and it calls to me, okay? And um, if there is in that myth of the American spirit going to a place where you can forge your destiny, this place up here in the mountains is as close as we're going to find, I think, in the world today, a throwback to people that want to come up and test themselves, you know, physically and intellectually and spiritually in, in leading a life. So, we have people like me that decide uh, that, that instead of going into their leisure, they're going to go into their labor and they're going to build a farm. We have other people that come up here as artists and thinkers and writers, and and, and they do other things. But they all seem to have this, um, this grit and backbone that comes with living in a place that's a little physically challenging. We, 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 have, we have real winter up here. I like, I mean, you're painting such a compelling 
picture. It's really beautiful to oh, like to to think about. I'm like I'm like oh all right. I'm so I'm so <laughs> I'm envisited. It's a very self apparent truth. Um, one of the things I've I've been thinking about a lot lately. I've been working on this project called the New York Grid and. We are thinking about kind of upstate, downstate connections and connections um, from community to community across New York State. And um, how do we think about ourselves um, both as individuals, but also as a state where we have these kind of common um, interests, where we have, I think, you know, the watershed is a great example, these really specific interdependencies and I'm wondering, as someone who has spent significant time in both areas, what are some things that maybe you feel like both sides get right or wrong about each other? Like, oh, city folk are so X, Y, Z, or uh, country folk are so X, Y, Z. Like, where where are some of those kind of miscommunications uh, happening or, you know, maybe more true than you at first might have thought. Yeah. Um, you know, the the stereotypes and the bigotries that come along with it seem to go away with time because a bigot is somebody who, in spite of evidence to the contrary, continues to think the, the same way. And um, somebody that comes up here and thinks the country people are stupid and slow, um, they change their 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 attitudes because their experience uh, uh, corrects it very quickly. And the same thing generally happens with uh, people up here that see weekenders come in, and and the expectation is that they're just up here to abuse and take advantage and, and treat people like children. Um, and and that changes, of course, with the experience. This is what, aside from that, and it happens everywhere in the town and gown, city, country thing. But this is this is the important important part, where do we connect and where do we ultimately find ourselves out on common ground? It's this, um, both city people and that habitat and, and people that live up here in the mountains share a conviction that what is meaningful in our lives is found through authentic experience. And, and we find that in, in our communities and we find that in our work. And um, and we find that in the air we breathe. So that um, is the language that we all ultimately come together on. And the connections that um, will be found out and are exciting between people that come from urban environments and, and then come up here is the storytelling of what it is on both sides that make life uh, fascinating and curious. Uh, and because <laughs> um, they're alien, lifestyles in the city and lifestyles in the country are, are extremely different. The, the stories, consequently, are fascinating if, if you have a mind for loving diversity and uh, and strangeness. And you know, believe me, there are a lot of eccentric, strange things up here as there are in the city. <laughs> I, I One of the other topics that I, I feel like has been coming up a lot, and I'm curious to get your insights on this because of your kind of background in digital communication, I was really surprised we were up doing an event in Cooperstown a few weeks ago and kind of asking people what some of the challenges um, in their community were. And 
basic communication, access to basic communication came up kind of repeatedly in a couple of ways. One, looking at cell service and cell coverage and being um, kind of frustrated by the, the lack of it in the region or the spottiness and kind of the challenges of being able to use this kind of relatively ubiquitous modern tool. And the other area that people were talking a lot was um, really basic access to the internet. And I think that's something else I've been kind of um, trying to understand a little bit better. I, I feel like I know that um, in an, from an agricultural standpoint that the U.S. government is definitely talking about and thinking about making investments in uh, rural broadband service. But it was really different for me to just be talking to kind of, you know, regular people going about their day who were like, you know, this is a thing that we don't really have yet. Or if we do have it, it's not that great. And um, I I guess I was just like, I was, I was surprised. And I think many of my listeners would probably be surprised to hear that there's many parts of the country that still don't have a high-speed or re reliable internet access or really adequate cell coverage. And I don't know if you have any, like, thoughts or insights or experiences there, but, I've, I've, you know, it's something I've been thinking about. Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, without, without access to digital technologies, be it through fiber or through um, cell towers, um, the... The growth and the connectivity to a broader, important world is is not going to happen, and and that that is um, unimaginable today. To grow a vibrant community, you've got to have that. Um, that's what government and, and industry working together can do, and they are doing it. Cuomo um, and the, the uh, Washington, our, our national government, have put tremendous amounts of money into getting broad uh, uh, cell and fiber into rural areas. It's it's horrifyingly expensive when when you're stretching fiber for a mile to reach one person. Um, that the the hundred dollars a month they may pay for the service does will never ever pay it back. So government and grants, it, it's happening. Cuomo is really pumping the money in, and we're going to see through the mountains, and we've already seen it in Delaware County. The uh, Delaware County Electrical Co-op, in conjunction with two telephone companies, is stringing fiber to every one of its customers, and um, this is this is you know a lot of grant. Money. And there's a lot more pouring in. So um, I hear these stories, and I hear people that are uh, that would spend their lives up here if they had the fiber. They're getting it, and um, the the footprint of that is changing, and will continue to change. Uh, for those that don't have it, then it's just it's woe until it happens. There's just there is nothing that will. Um, uh, solve the issues of a rural community coming up to the 21st century without that coming in. And it is coming in. Do you, well, I mean, that, that, that is good to hear. Um, I think that, you know, there is this idea, I think sometimes, a, a, you know, a misconce misconception that, oh, like people don't um, want or need that access to the broader world, which I think, again, is like just one of those incorrect uh, biases. I'm wondering if like, Anything else um, 
kind of jumps out to you specific to Delaware County or Bovina in the region where you're operating that is making you feel really excited about the community from a kind of government or business or policy standpoint, things that you're seeing where you're like, this type of investment is really like yielding results for our community. Mm. The results are um, young people coming up and, and taking a swing at businesses and lives that we've never seen before. We have uh, a lot of people from Brooklyn that come up and start uh, restaurants and take uh, take efforts at starting small-scale farming that have high margins, flower farming, and so on. Um, and and we see people that can work from off base from from out out of uh, the corporate headquarters coming up here. A lot of uh, a lot of software programmers that are, that are now connected by fiber are living up here full time. And what happens with this um, younger um, uh, influx of of attitude, money, and expectation? is that um, we see all sorts of new events coming up uh, in venues. Um, (laughs) I put on a fashion show this summer using material, uh, agricultural material, Agribon, uh, which is a floating row cover. It's a, a white sort of linen. And this black plastic that we use to suppress weeds. And we have a very, very famous uh, haute couture designer, uh, Siobhan Barrett, who made 18 different counts. <laughs> I, I made a <laughs> runway through one of our hay fields. And uh, we had Michael Sikorsky, who was Lou Reed's drummer, uh-huh. Um, who's a local guy beating on old junk, farm junk, and um, and we had this fashion show that was as good as anything I have ever uh, been in contact with anywhere, and the people that showed up, you know, it, it was if if um, Norman Rockwell were alive today and wanted to do a New York Post cover of what the face of the world should look like, you know, the hundreds of people that were standing in the hay and sitting on hay bales and and watching our young people parade um, in the middle of nowhere, um, that's, that's what's happening up here. People are getting these crazy ideas and executing them with an audience standing by to witness, and it's, it's wonderful. Oh, man. That sounds like a very fun party. It was a good party. <laughs> we have, we served some good Manhattans up front, too. Oh, nice. <laughs> well, so I know that um, folks can uh, get a little bit of information and more contact info for you guys. There's a great little website called... Um, farmingbovina.org uh, that lists um, a bunch of farms in your area and where folks can um, access farm stands or tours or that kind of thing. Anything else that you would point folks to as like a good resource um, if they're thinking about heading up your way for uh, an extended weekend or, you know, maybe more? Um you know, Route 28 is loaded with all sorts of interesting people and things. Um, come up. I, this is to anybody listening that it hasn't come up. Just, you know, do this. Um, 
get in a car, a zip car or something, with the expectation that you're just going to head up into the mountains and get lost. You'll find a B&B or you'll find a roadside motel. And come up here and, and, and go into restaurants and, and stop at farms and talk to people. <laughs> You'll start to connect some dots that will paint a little picture that you will, I, I would uh, bet, um, will leave an extremely positive surprise. There are lots of resources in terms of tourism sites and so on, but um, if you want a real taste of the place and if you want an adventure defined by uh, adventure being the byproduct of an ill-planned expedition, <laughs> um, just get in your car and come up and just bounce around by people saying, oh, go do this, go do that, and uh, and see what happens. Maybe you'll find me and my wife uh, selling tomatoes. Oh, man. Well, Steve, thank you so much. Uh, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Um, and maybe our paths will, will cross uh, in the tomato fields <laughs> or on the, run, or on the fashion runway. <laughs> All right, guys, we are going to take just a short break. And when we come back, we'll be talking into the second half of the show. Uh, get out your pens and papers. We're going to learn a little bit more about investing in egg and um, maybe some personal finance. Hang tight. Visit a farm. Log on to EscapeMaker.com, New York City's guide to ideas on weekend getaways and day trips to orchards, farms, wineries, breweries, and more. No car? No problem. This year, EscapeMaker is offering the Dutchess County Farm Fresh Tours program in conjunction with Metro North Railroad. Take the train from New York City and spend the day exploring local Hudson Valley agritourism with farm, winery, and distillery visits. Just a quick two-hour ride. All shuttles then transfer via the Beacon, Wasaic, and Poughkeepsie train stations. Itineraries highlight artisanal eats, craft beverages, apple picking, eco-friendly organic farming, festivals, and more. Or, if you're looking for more info about visiting local farms and wineries, stop by the Escape Maker pop-up shop located at Fulton Stall Market on Front Street in the South Street Seaport. Open seven days a week, the market is rich with fresh produce, local meat, New York State apples and baked goods, homemade pasta, and cheese. Get inspired and sign up for your farm getaway at escapemaker.com today. Oh, man, David, I'm digging that tune. <laughs> All right, guys, we are back uh, jumping into the second half of the show. We are joined on the line by um, Austin Manis. He is the chief operating officer of Harvest Returns, and he's calling in from, I believe, Fort Worth, Texas. Is that right, Austin? Yes, ma'am. We're calling uh, from the great state of Texas. How are y'all doing down there? Uh, everything's doing great here. We got a little rain today, which we were very fortunate. It's been a while, so uh, 
we're loving the cooler weather and the, and the nice uh, uh, rain rainfall. Oh man! Well, you can send some of that our way. I feel like I'm. Uh, yet last night I was so confused. I'm like, what's happening? It's like hot. It's humid. It's sticky. Isn't it almost October up here? Um, anyway, um, so I I am really excited to learn more about uh, you and your work via Harvest Returns, and I think. Um, What's interesting to me is the the platform seems to give opportunities for people to engage with you in and both sides of the equation, both uh, farmers who are looking to raise capital and uh, individuals who are looking to um, invest in agriculture. Is that more or less the gist? That yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, as, as we all know. Uh, especially a fellow like me growing up in the time I did, that when, as the internet became a thing, uh, it was that it was that place where you could connect people of similar interests uh, from across the globe. And so, we, you know, that's basically the the cornerstone of what we're doing here. We're connecting uh, farmers that grow our food with the people um, that eat the food, and it's a way for uh, those folks that are that care about what they're eating to have more of a vested and financial interest into uh, the, the people of the world that grow our food and, and you know, provide our clothing among, among you know, many other uh, pro- uh, products that we use. That was the, the key thing is connecting those two sides of the equation um, via our platform. So, I, you know, I know on the website you guys kind of use the word um, crowdfunding a little bit, but this isn't like a traditional crowdfunding platform. So maybe you, let's... I'm going to actually ask you to kind of walk us through how this might work um, from both sides. So let's start on the the farmer side. If I'm a farmer, um, I know I can hop on the website. I can send you a little bit of background information on myself. What are my capital needs? What I'm looking to do with it? What my experience is? Um, What are the types of producers that are a good fit for you guys to work with? and, and, like, how do you kind of make those decisions? Uh, great question. So, you know, we talked about crowdfunding. The the anecdote we always say is, especially when you're talking to a farmer and you say, hey, do you know what crowdfunding is? And they say, no, I've never heard of it. And I say, well, have you ever heard of Kickstarter or GoFundMe? Like, oh, yeah. Say, well, that's <laughs> crowdfunding, but that's crowdfunding on the social side. Right. It's more of a uh, pull at your heartstrings donation kind of thing. What, what we specifically focus on is equity crowdfunding. So when talking with the farmers, they've probably been dealing with their ag, traditional ag lender, you know, a bank or, or farm credit service that their grandpa and their grandpa's grandpa worked with for the last, you know, few generations. So that that's the financial system that they're used to. Mm-hmm. And so what we what we are offering is a is a newer version of, of financing for a uh, an ag producer, a farmer, a rancher, you know, maybe someone that owns timberland. And so the process that they would go through was, is to reach out to us, and we have a conversation with them to try to understand what they're trying to do. And usually, um, you know, the typical kind of deal that we're, uh, when we talk with a farmer is uh, maybe he's over-leveraged in debt or he's just, you know, frustrated with the traditional um, financing process. And maybe he's a corn farmer. Maybe he's a pecan farmer. Maybe he's a cattle rancher. Maybe he's got uh, organic porcupines in his backyard. That's the kind of spectrum that. Uh, Did you say organic porcupines? <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> we, we get we get inquiries from all over the globe, from Ghana and Africa, Mongolia, 
South America, and of course, you know, a lot in the, in the North America um, between Costa Rica and Canada. So we get a broad, um, you know, group of folks that are coming at us, and all different kinds of crops. So that's you know, to to say there's a specific kind of crop we do with, um, it's it's really all over all over the place. Um, but some that have a little bit more success with us are those in the kind of specialty crop arena. So if you think about and, you know, I know you had an uh, episode a while back of talking about almonds. Mm-hmm. We've contacted a lot of almond farmers that, you know, they have an operation. They have a vision in their mind. They're trying to get financing. They go to their bank and say, hey, I've got this, you know, great piece of land I want to buy. I want to plant these almond trees. Here's the return I can make. But because it's an almond tree, because it's a nut crop, you're not going to get returns for it's four gonna, to six yeah, years. Yeah, it's going to be a minute. <laughs> It's going to be a minute. So a bank doesn't want to hear, hey, I'm going to give you $2 million, but you're not going to pay me back for six years. Mm-hmm. So that, there's the issue right there. The ag finance uh, world has not evolved to understand some of these um, you know, specialty crops. So we get a lot of interest from uh, tree crops, uh, specialty crops that have that kind of uh, constraint of, um, you know, even if it's livestock, hey, you're not going to get your first return until these things mature, gestate, you know, and produce um something to, to harvest. And so same thing with pecans, almonds, pistachios. So that's kind of a, a, a specific farmer that, that seems to reach out to us even more as, as those that need a little bit more help in that, in that regard. And so what I am um, kind of what the, that transaction is going to look like for me as a farmer is instead of paying uh, an interest rate to have access to that capital, I'm giving up and, equity stake in my my crop my land like what what's the transaction look like like how am i weighing those options at, on my end as like someone who would be looking to connect with you guys sure so uh like i said going back to the traditional style you go talk to a lender they're going to want collateral that's your house that's your land that's your your equipment they, they need something that kind of puts the risk on the farmer instead of the bank and so the farmer has his own level of risk, borrowing money, and, you know, maybe he's got crop insurance, maybe he doesn't. So there's that picture. Coming through the equity side, you are getting the investors to shoulder most of the risk. So you are getting a, a check from us that we raised money through equity investors, and the cost to raise that capital is shared among the investors. So. Let's say you borrow a million dollars, it's a 6 or 7% loan from the bank, you've got your million-dollar check, but you owe the bank that, that percentage of interest. When the investors come in, you get your check, the cost of raising that capital is on the investors. So that uh, cost to raise capital, which could be anywhere between 3 and 10%, based mm-hmm. on what kind of deal you have, um, could be uh, you know legal fees, all, all the things that go into setting up one of these offerings, but that risk and, and uh, owning of that cost raised capital is spread amongst a hundred, a thousand investors. And so it's it's kind of a shared carry the load. Um, so it's a, a quite a bit different uh, model than the traditional side. So um, when the farmer buys a piece of land and he offers a percentage of equity to those investors, those investors are now um, into that piece of land. When he harvests his soybeans and he gets um, his profits at the end of the year, he shares those in the form of dividends back to the investors. And so that's kind of, you know, like he would make a bank payment, um, uh, you know, like an interest payment on the loan. He's making 
dividend payments out to the investors. And he has the opportunity to buy those investors out over time. As his business continues to grow and it becomes more profitable, he can offer exit strategies to investors to say, hey, uh, on year five, I've made enough profit. I would like to buy four or five of you investors out. That puts more money back in his pocket. And those investors get to um, you know, take their winnings home and then hopefully reinvest in another uh, deal on the platform. That makes sense. And can you give us a sense like of, of scale here? Like, uh, I don't know if there is an average, um, dollar amount that you guys are traditionally working with folks on, or even just a range. Like I know on the investing side, like me as an individual, you guys put on your site that, you know, you can get engaged, um, you know, for something like $5,000 seems like the floor. And I want to talk more about that in a minute, but, um, uh, just so we can get a sense of like from the farmer side, like how much capital are farmers usually looking to kind of raise in a deal with you? Well, that's a great question. The, the scale is important because as we look for that range of uh, raise amounts that we want, it needs to be at a certain level that can produce a scale that would be um, would have a, a kind of return on investment right. that would be uh, appetizing to investors. So for us, we, we work in the range, and, you know, it's not hard edges, but it's between about half a million and two million is the raise amount that we're currently at. That's a good price point. It's a, it's a part of the market that is underappreciated. The, below 500000 those are typically more in the um, social crowdfunding side um, or more kind of friends and family. And then higher than the $2 million is usually a, a larger they're part of maybe a, a REIT or a fund that some of the big um, uh, ag funds are dealing with. So that we feel that our that half a million to two million is our is our range. As an investor, um, the range for them could be somewhere between, you know, say five thousand and, and twenty five thousand for the minimum investment. So of course, an investor could come in with, uh, if it's a five thousand dollar minimum, he could pay. He could come into it at a hundred thousand dollars. He would just have that many more shares. Right. So we, we think with the way the market is and, and what scale is needed to produce those returns um, for the investor, it's, it's, it's in between those limits. Yeah. So I think like still, I mean, that's still, I guess, lower than what I might have guessed. So you guys are really dealing in in kind of the smaller to mid-range farms. Like that's, that's still, I mean, that's not, I, I guess, of course, half a million to $2 million is like a ton of money to me. But I think when you're like looking at a, like a farm business or when you're buying kind of uh, equipment, land, major infrastructure improvements, like um, it doesn't, you don't have to work that hard to spend that kind of money. It goes quick. Absolutely. And so um, and if you think about it, there's farmers that are, um, the, the, the farmers that we're doing are not necessarily just starting out. They're, they've got some experience, and they're probably expanding on an operation they already have. Right. So they're probably already sitting on a five to ten million dollar operation, but they see they see some uh, opportunity to purchase this neighboring land, or mm-hmm. they need to scale up to get to the next level in their business. And so, um, the family farmer, the the good hardworking American farmers, is you know the guy we guy and gal we keep in our in our heads. And again, we're, we're thinking globally too. We've got some emerging markets out there, folks in Brazil, uh, Belize, uh, like I said, Africa and Asia that um, have some great opportunity. They just need a little bit of an you know, injection of capital to, to take them to the next level. And, and those are the kind of people that, that, that we really want to help out. Obviously, we want to help investors out, um, but we want to bring investors to the table and, and educate them and, and have them be a part of this 
um, such an important business for all of us to survive. So yeah, let's flip over to that investor side. So as an individual, um, there's a couple of different ways that I can decide to invest with you. And I'm wondering if you can kind of walk us through that. Okay. So as an investor, you you approach, um, you know, just going through this, you know, the very basic steps. If you're, if you're reading on our website and you're liking what you're seeing and you're interested in, say, an alternative investment, something different than stocks and bonds, um, something that's kind of real estate but maybe a little bit different than the commercial real estate, um, this, we are definitely in that uh, class of alternative investments, which, which we um, have seen amongst other, whether it's the Harvard um, you know, dowry or whatever, those are, those are about 10% of those portfolios are in alternative investments like precious metals or, or um, agriculture. You said the, so you said the Harvard it. endowment. That's what you so, just said, right? Endowment, yes. Okay, yes. cool. Um, and so the, we, that's something that we kind of use as, a, you know, 5 to 10% of, a, of an investment portfolio in alternative investments is about kind of the, the normal or, or the, the smart way, as, as some of the uh, um, specialists would say. Mm-hmm. So we, pre- we present that and say, hey, you know, you're coming in, and if you are an investor, typically to get into agriculture, it's pretty difficult. You either have to buy a farm. Which is obviously then you got to run it, so nobody really wants to handle that kind of. Yeah, uh, it's not a of, weekend of job. Like, or yeah, or you have to come into one of the funds or the REITs, like I mentioned before, and those usually have a of an entry barrier of say like a hundred thousand or five hundred thousand dollars minimum. So there's a lot of accredited investors in the in the United States, and there's a lot of investors around the world that can come in at the five to twenty thousand. Uh, level, and we want to give them that opportunity. So this is that place that they can come to. Wait, so, so Austin, can I jump in right there? Because so the the what is an what's the difference between a, an accredited and a non accredited invest, investor? Well, uh, that's a very important question because that's uh, specifically lined out in in some of the SEC regulations on on who can invest in what kind of deals. So the deals that we put, um, specifically offer are. Uh, Regulation D, 506B, and 506C, the majority being the 506C. So in a 506C uh, investment, that's an, for accredited investors. And the definition of accredited investors is outlined, um, obviously, in all of our documents. But, but what, what's the, uh, the norm to use is uh, $250,000 um, annual income, mm-hmm. uh, or if you have a combined, like a family income of over 300000 and then, of course, um, if you have a, a, over a million dollars in investable assets. So that's, that's kind of the broad definition of the accredited investor. And so when you, as an investor comes through the process, we do a accreditation check just to verify that, that they're within regulations and we are within regulations for, for these type of deals. So is that like, I mean, would that be like uh, when I apply for a credit card and they run a credit check on me? Or like, I'm, I'm just not sure. So like, do I get like a card in the mail that says like, you are now accredited? Or is this a thing that happens on like a deal by deal basis? It's, it's a little bit more personal. I mean, we, we have a service that we, that we can use or mm-hmm. we can do our own um, specific checks. And, and really the easiest way to do it is, is getting a, a letter from your attorney or your CPA saying, I have verified that these pers- this person's financials meet the accredited criteria. Got it. There's a little bit you know, more onerous ways, like, hey, present us, you know, just show us your you know, last three pay stubs, show us a bank statement, anything like that, and we can verify that. Um, so, yeah, it's not, it's not like a credit card necessarily, but, it, but it's a little bit uh, a little more fluid on our end. 
So we can uh, accredit you via the platform or be our um, third-party service that does those quick checks for us. Okay. Um, so, but so, but then also, if if I'm not like I, you know, I personally wouldn't meet that threshold, but I could work with you guys via the IRA option. Is that right? That's right. We do have a an IRA option specifically for the self-directed IRAs. And so we uh, we present we have an option on our website that uh, accompany New Direction um, that that you can set up an IRA with them um, and, and and provide some of that. The other option, like you said, is an unaccredited investor. We do offer some 506B deals, and then a 506B deal we can have up to 35 unaccredited investors in those deals. It's it's kind of a friends and family. So we have to okay. develop a relationship with that unaccredited investor because that's the that's the regulations. We have to have a kind of existing relationship with you. And then when a 506B offering is available and we've had that relationship for a while, we can say, hey, would you like to come in and, and check out this deal? So that, there's there's different rules on those on how you can um, uh, openly solicit them. The 506Cs, I can tell anybody about those deals and the, and the details. The 506Bs are, you need to be part of our kind of inner circle to, to get the details on that. So um, going through the platform for sure, you can you can kind of get get the gate get through the gateway to see those deals. So, uh, so as an individual investor, and I, so if I'm thinking about, all right, I am you know kind of saving for my retirement fund. I'm like trying to be a responsible young Brooklynite, and um, sure. when I would look to, and, but I also, you know, I also have like strong values and I want to be investing in things that are in line with like my values and be conscientious about them. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. And so it, it, it would, it sounds like you're saying that like you guys would be a good fit for somewhere in the like 10% of, if I have a, I'm just gonna use a hundred dollars if I have a hundred dollars to invest or a thousand dollars to invest, you know, I would do, uh, you know, a hundred of that with you guys. And then I would look at kind of other more traditional options for the rest of my $900. And that's just kind of best practices, um, when thinking about having like a diverse portfolio of things that you're, you're investing for. Is that right? Yeah, you're right. You're right on the on the mark there. So, okay. um, like you said, a young Brooklynite that that wants to you know do the smart thing and invest uh, smartly, you're going to have a diversified portfolio. You're going to have something in everything, and and the the best practices is to have about ten percent in a, in an alternative investment like agriculture. So, what what we're going to offer that young person coming out of Brooklyn is. Hey, you're going to have a portfolio, and you're going to get either via the, your email or print in the mail. You're going to get some kind of dividend statements from whatever company you're you're investing with. The difference between what you're going to get with that, you know, oh, I got some Apple stock. Oh, I've got some, you know, mm-hmm. Home Depot stock. Mm-hmm. I've also, you know, when you say I've got interest in a pig farm in Texas, I've got interest in a cacao deal in Belize. And instead of holding up a dividend sheet when you're talking to your friends. You're going to show the YouTube video of those little pigs being born. <laughs> You're going to show them, hey, here is the uh, here is the crop being harvested in Belize when they're making chocolate bars. So you have a personal connection to the operation going on. You're almost like a member of the family of some of these farmers because we provide the the updates and things from the operation to the investor via the platform. So you're not only getting a check um, when you're supposed to, according to the 
dividend schedule, but you're also getting updates. You're also getting opportunities to come visit some of these farms. You can go down to Belize and you can take a tour from start to finish how they make fine chocolate in a chocolatier's office. So there's all that opportunity. So yes, you can invest smartly in some of these other things that you should invest in, but when you invest in something through harvest returns, you're you are not only financially but you're emotionally connected to the things that provide you food. Um, so that, I mean, that sounds like very cool, honestly. Um, and you know, obviously I think I want, I want, I want to be clear with folks like these investments and you guys say this repeatedly across your site, you know, there's not a guarantee of a return. It's like right. any investment that you would make. It could work out. It could not work out. So definitely want to, you know, be responsible in talking with your uh, financial advisor and making sure that you're kind of making smart choices with money. But can you talk a little bit about, um, and I'm going to have to have you back on because I have more questions than we're going to be able to cover in the Absolutely, next couple yeah. of minutes. But, <laughs> but um, agriculture as a space for investment. I mean, one of the things we talk about on the Heritage Radio Network a bit is kind of thinking about, you know, slow money and, and investments that, you know, you're going to see a return over a longer period of time or potentially the dollar amount of your investment return will be um, lower, but it will you'll have these kind of ancillary benefits of um you know, seeing something positive kind of in your community or committing to a cause that like you're passionate about, um, where like the, the type of deals and opportunities that you guys are putting together, like, is there just a range of things that kind of operate in the like dollar amount return where that's my priority or the like, I want to really have like access to special things that, and like personal relationships and that's my priority or like, I just like want to feel good and like, I don't need this money for another 20 years. That's my, like, you know, how do we kind of think about what particular type of like returns, if we're thinking about returns more broadly than just dollars that we would be uh, receiving from an investment with you guys? Does that, I'm a little all over the place, but. Yeah, great question. And so if you think about, um, like you said, your young Brooklynite with that hundred dollars and you put ten dollars in into an alternative investment like agriculture, if you were to go to say a fund manager and say, Hey, put 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 me ten dollars in the ag stuff, um, he's gonna say, Yeah, absolutely he's gonna do it and you're gonna you know, there's like you said, there's kind of the minimal connection there. You're gonna get some dip range of returns and what he's gonna do is he's gonna take your ten dollars and he's gonna chop it up into dollar bits and he's gonna put a, a little one into this farm, a little one into this farm and all these different farms have a different return, a different timeline, and things like that. So, of course, uh, we definitely offer that that spectrum where you can come into a chicken deal, and chickens are <laughs> hatched and raised and harvested pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. You can come into a, tim- a timber deal, and now you're talking about a 30-year investment. So, you know, that's the kind of two ends of the spectrum, and we have everything in between. So you're talking about different rates of return. You're talking about different timelines of when the dividends are paid out. So you can take your 10% from your portfolio, and you can even diversify that even further into the different kind of deals that we have. So you can spread that out you know, financially to say, okay, well, I'm going to get you know, a, a lot higher return, but a longer-term investment. I'm going to get a, a lower return, but I'm going to get quick money back fast. And so there's those different options that you can, as you read through the the financial details of each deal, you'll, those things jump out at you and say, oh, this is this this percent return at this timeline. And 
and so forth. And so you can kind of spread across that. And on the social side, like you mentioned, you can see exactly what you're getting into. This is a family farm. This is a guy or a gal that is taking over the farm from their uh, parent. Maybe a parent has passed away and they have to buy out their siblings, you know, to carry on the family tradition. So there's some connection there of, of you're furthering this um, person's way of life. And there's a lot of, you know, oh, our kid just got accepted to Harvard. We'd really like to raise money and get this farm going so we could send him there so he can come back and be our, be our family attorney. So there's all kinds of cool stories that are out there that these farmers have that, um, that people want to be a part of. Huh. Wow. I bet I, I'm just thinking, I'm like, I'm like, who knew you're going to tune into the farm report today and we're going to be talking about investment portfolios, but that is that, yeah, part it. of the world that's of that's agriculture. Absolutely. So here we are. Um, and sadly, here we are out of time. Um, Austin, thank you so much. Uh, I, I learned a lot. I'm excited to, to talk more. Folks want to, um, check out the work, get involved. The website is harvestreturns.com. And they can also yeah, learn man. more about you there, too. <laughs> Absolutely. We'd, we'd love to talk to anybody that has any questions. And for sure, would love to, to chat with you again if you have the time. Excellent. All right, folks. Well, that is it. You have made it to the end of another episode. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in. What a fun show today. I feel like I was inspired. I learned a lot. I have more questions at the end than I did at the beginning. But I guess, you know, I, that's a win in my book. Um, if you like the show, if you like what we're doing here at the Heritage Radio Network, um, we are member supported. I, I do hope that you'll consider making a, a little bit of a financial contribution. You can do that by visiting our website, www.heritageradionetwork.org. Click on that beating heart and uh, toss us a couple bucks. Big thank you to Escape Maker who uh, sponsored our show today and helped keep us running. Um, definitely check them out. Lots of great trip opportunities if you're here in the New York City area. And then you can find me if you want more. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at it's at Aaron underscore Fairbanks. Until next week, stay tuned in. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.